So this morning, <clears throat> I have 33 minutes before one, and I want to read to you from 1 John chapter 2, verse 28 to chapter 3, verse 10. And now, dear children, <clears throat> continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and not put to shame. I'm reading how I think it should be read, but continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and not put to shame before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right, or as the KGB says, doeth righteousness, I love it, has been born of God, has been born of God. How great, or I would read it like this, uh, you know, look what sort of love or I would read it, of what country is this love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear children, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known but we know that when he appears we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself or herself just as he is pure everyone who sins breaks the law in fact sin is anomie that is lawlessness if you take it to another point anarchy which results in anarchy. But you know that he appeared so that he may take away our sins and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning or no one who abides in him keeps on sinning or dwells in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed or sperm a bold, daring metaphor. Sperma. You know, no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed, we will look at it, remains in him or her and he or she cannot go on sinning because he or she has been born of God. This is how we know who are the children of God, children of God are, and who the children of devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his or her brother or sister. <coughs> I've titled my sermon as Remembering Who We Are, the Children of God. To claim we are God's children means we have both privileges and 
responsibilities. What are the privileges? In this passage, we find the privileges are confidence, the assurance of our standing in Christ, and of God's love for us. He loves us in spite of who we are. What is the responsibility? The responsibility is to live out this relationship which we claim to have with Jesus, we claim to have with God the Father in and through His Son by the enablement of the Spirit. How should this be lived out? In right living. In right living. Or in righteous conduct. Or as KJV puts it, whoever doeth righteousness, doeth righteousness, is born of God. Verse 28, and now dear children, it's a very affectionate term, dear children, continue in him. That is, most, most of the places translate. Literally actually means remain. The literal word would be remain in him. There's a reason why they translated it as continue in him because it's in the present. You know, it's in the present imperative. That means it's an ongoing action. What the writer, what the pastor, what the elder, John, is telling his people is, you got to remain in him, you got to remain and continue remaining in him. So the flip side of it is that there may be a possibility, and I don't want to go there because the text doesn't allow me to go there. What the elder is urging is continued steadfastness. The command is an admonition. It is admonishing them. Continue to remain in him. Remain, abide in him. Continue faithfully in the direction that you have chosen. And what is the direction that we have chosen? I have decided to follow Jesus. We love that song. And in all probability, it was written by some Indian convert in the jungles of the Northeast, you know, where you say, though all may leave me, I will still follow. I'll keep the cross before me and the world behind me. I have decided. So what John is saying is, you have chosen a direction. Stay in it. Continue in him. So you have encouragement and exhortation put together. And the purpose of doing that is that when he appears, that we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. I have some news for you. Jesus is coming again. Do you really believe that? You know... The timing of his coming may be uncertain. I do not know when he is coming. But the fact of his coming is certain. I want you to listen to that. The timing of his coming may be uncertain. But the fact of his coming is certain. Now if that is true, how then we ought to live our lives? But before we go out there, or maybe I will never go there in this sermon. The purpose that John is stating is that when he appears, we may be confident 
and unashamed before him at his coming. So these two adjectives suggest opposing positions. One will either come into God's presence confident or one will come in shame. There's only two possibilities. Either you will come in his presence with a confidence that has come about you know, because of your daily walk with him, of your life with him, we will look at that or you will come before him in shame. The thought here is of the confidence with which a person may enter into a royal presence. It's like entering into the presence of a king, the almighty God, without fear or shame. It's a natural confidence arising of an existing relationship expressed in prayer. It's an assured outcome of a daily walk with God. I love Abraham. Chapter 11. Towards the end, it talks about his call. I don't know, means he might have been, you know, whatever his age is. But that's where his life begins. He hears the call of God. Says, come out, go to the place I tell you. Chapter 12, we see him, in, see him in Haran moving out and facing the desert, the wilderness. There is nothing out there. And he is walking into that desert, the wilderness, with his wife, his, his cattle, his nephew. He is going there. He's not knowing where he is going, but he has heard the call of God. And he is journeying. He is facing different situations in life. He is longing for a child in the way he does things which is not pleasing to God. But through all of these things, he is interacting with a God and suddenly you find chapter 14, 15, 16, Abraham is a friend of God. And then he comes to chapter 21 where he is settled down some, somewhat. He is God, his son of the promise. He is enjoying life. He has been traveling for all these years from chapter 11 to chapter 21. And he is now somewhat settled, if I'm not Bathsheba. And that is where his friend comes and tells him something. You know what he tells him? Take your son. Three times, it is almost like God is rubbing it in. Three times he says, the son, your only son, the son you love. Give him to me. Basically, as I've spoken before, God was asking for his future. He had given up his past. And now he was asking for his future. Because all the promises of God was in the promised child, Isaac. Can you imagine that? Who brought such great joy for him. God is telling, will you give him up for me? And I see this old man, you know, with his donkeys and with his servants going up to Mount Moriah. Three days journey. 
three days. He has time to maybe turn back. He can change his mind 72 hours. But he goes there. He ties his son down to the altar and raises his knife. Till that time, God doesn't say, stop. He raises his knife. It is at that time God says, his friend comes through and says, stop. And gives back Isaac as one from the dead. That is what the Hebrew writer says. You know what made Abraham to do that? The confidence that he had in his friend, who is the God of the universe, that if it meant Isaac to die, he would raise him from the ashes and give him the Isaac, the child of promise. That is the confidence we are talking here. That is the confidence. The confidence of someone who has known God, who has experienced God's faithfulness, who knows him to be true, and when situations like this come, which makes no meaning or sense to you, you still trust this amazing God who is your friend. Because you know, in the end, he will come through on his word. That is a confidence. And when you have that confidence, the day he comes, You'll be walking into his presence as a friend with another friend. Because you've already walked with him. It's like Enoch walking with God. And one day God says, why don't you come home? Where is our lives today? Do we have that confidence? He is going to come. He is coming. How is our life today? Have we tangled ourselves with the houses that we have brought, with the cars and with the luxuries of life? Has it pulled us down to the earth? Is it too heavy that we cannot lift our eyes to heaven? If it is so, cut it off. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. If God is speaking to you this morning, this afternoon, I want you to challenge you. I want you to motivate you. I want you to persuade you that he is faithful to give you so much more. You know what is it? He wants to give himself to you. He wants to call you, come up higher, my friend. Come up higher. Don't sit at the back. Come on, join me here. The judge invites the convict to come and dine with him. The confidence. Those who will be ashamed when he comes are the people who did not live in union with him on earth. Those who are merely nominal in their allegiance to him and their rejection at his coming will be the final confirmation of a life of spiritual separation from him. Now let me say something here and I say this because I have reasons to say this. I want to believe and I think the texts and the book supports it. The shame that is spoken of here is the disgrace or rejection that unbelievers will experience when they come into judgment. And in context, those who come into such disgrace 
are those who do not abide. On the other hand, the confidence that believers ha have is the boldness to come to Jesus when he appears as judge at his second coming. Those who have been faithful, who have abided, may approach God openly and with great confidence. They can speak with, speak, speaking with frankness and openness. Jesus is coming soon. The timing of his coming may be uncertain, but the fact of his coming is certain. The Lord Jesus is going to appear. We shall meet him either with joy or shame, with anticipation or regret. It will depend on how you respond to his call. That is our joy today. How will you respond to that call? I love Dietrich Bonhoeffer when he says, Jesus didn't just call his disciples to follow him. He called them to die. To die to ourselves, to die to our preferences, to die to our loves, to die to our comforts, to die to our very self so that we may learn to truly live. Because you will never experience life till you die to yourself. And the rule of nature is something or someone has to die so that the other can live. The chicken has to be slaughtered so that you can have chicken curry today evening. I'm serious. The plant has to die so that you can have spinach on your table. And you have to die, and I have to die, so that others can live. And in dying, we find what true life is. And in dying, we find that we share in the very life of Christ, which is unquenchable. Verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right or doeth righteousness has been born of him. Now what the writer is doing is he's trying to you know, work on that fundamental connection between knowing God and doing righteousness. And it is introduced with a conditional sentence. And what is a conditional sentence? If you know this, then this is true. So the first part of the sentence decides the outcome of the second part. So it says, if you know that he is righteous, if you know that he is just, then it follows from it that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Here the issue is testing the validity of one's claim to be a Christian. If you claim you are a Christian, if you claim you are born of God, if you claim you are born of a God who is righteous and just, then what, what's the outcome? That you will do right. You will be just. So the reader can take comfort that if they do what is righteous, correct moral behavior acceptable to God, this is a sign that they are born of God. If indeed one is in Christ, then the life of Christ must be evident, producing in the person the characteristics, fruit of Christ-likeness and holiness. Here, and I want you to listen to this very carefully, what John is talking about is a working righteousness. It's a working righteousness. A righteousness which is seen in not only doing the right thing, but also one which attempts to make things just or right. 
I want to repeat that and I'm going to expand on that. A working righteousness, that is what John is talking about here. A righteousness which is seen in not only doing the right thing, but also one which attempts to make things just or make things right. So what is the implication? Implication is this, that I will not just be content in just doing the right thing. Or, you know, I always say we should not only do the right thing, but also appear to do the right thing, right? Both are very important. But there's a third thing. What is that? You will attempt to do everything that is possible and enabled by God to make things just or right when you see that something is not right. That is the working righteousness that John is speaking here. You know, we have such a limited view of righteousness. God is making all things right. He is reconciling the world to himself. He is, right from the start, his aim is to bring all things together. He He wants justice to prevail. When it says the kingdom of God, it's the kingdom of ju- which is just and right. He is a God who is setting things right. Our relationship, with him, not only with him, but each other is broken. He comes in and he sets it right. You know, he makes room or he makes provision to, do, to make things right. That is why he is reconciling the world to himself in his son. And he is going to make everything new. What does it mean? He is going to make everything just. When we see injustice, our heart cries out to God. God, why are these people being murdered and brutalized in Iraq and Syria? How helpless we are. But we know one of these days, who is going to make it right? God is going to make it right. He is going to make it right. And those who are born of him will do everything to make things just and right. They will not only do the right things, but they will do everything that is in their capacity to make things just. So when you see something in the community which is not right, what do you do? You shove it under the carpet and say nothing has happened? Or will you come out because you love God And go up to the person and say, hey, sister, we saw that this Friday, right? What do we do? I want to be involved in your life. And I'll go up and say, hey, brother, maybe this is not good. Maybe we need to change. Can I walk with you? Can I pray with you? Can I get to understand you a little better? So that we can make these things right? If you are born of God, that is what you and I will do. Then we will truly become a community. Those who have been born of God doeth righteousness. Don't be, don't fool yourself and say, I don't harm anyone. I do what is right. I go to church and I go home. That is enough for me then you need to ask yourself, have you been born of God to begin with? If that is your attitude. And if that is your attitude over the years, because you have been hurt, 
and you will be hurt. You should, be an, you should have been on, here on Fridays. You would have known that hurt is very much a possibility on, in a real community. You can be hurt. You can be exploited. You can be misunderstood. You can be abused. But does that stop you from loving the way God loves us? It shouldn't. But do we acknowledge our hurt? Yes. We tell the other, you hurt me. You tell the other, you are not right, if they are not right. But still we will go out and build bridges of love so that the truth can be carried and the bridges will not be broken. A righteousness which is seen in not only doing the right thing, but also one which attempts to make things right. The habit of righteousness, the habit of righteousness is the proof of one's relationship with a righteous God. John tells me that righteous living, not knowledge, and I say this very carefully, John tells me that righteous living, not knowledge, is a principal mark of a true Christian, one who is born of God. Not to say that, you know, how do I know right living? I need to know the mind of God, and that comes through knowing God. But the principal mark, how do I know this person is a Christian? It is through his or her life, which is lived out in the world. Because knowledge, one of the characteristics of knowledge is obedience. It works itself out. So the principal mark of a Christian is not knowledge, it's righteous living. To do righteousness means to practice it as a pattern of life which comes from one's very nature. And this leads directly to reflections on the designation to the children of God. But we are running out of time. Let me see if I can... You know, I don't want to keep you all here for too long. 3 and verse 1, it says, look at the sort of love, basically, of what country the Father has given us that we should be called the children of God. God himself has chosen us to be his family. The new birth is a reality, and that's why he re-emphasizes, and that is what we are. We are the children of God. You don't have to doubt it. We are the children of God. We find it hard to accept the unconditional, limitless love of God because we have been led to believe we need to earn love, acceptance, and approval. You know, it's like I telling Judy sometime when she tells me that she has done well in her exams. Good, good. That means we still can be friends. All right? But you know with God how it is? In spite of all the F, Students will know that, what F means, right? Uh, to get an F grade, <laughs> that means you failed. In spite of all the Fs in life, he still loves us just the same. Yes, we are indeed his children. That's the comfort you and I have. And that should be the greatest motivator to live a just life. God loves us in spite of, all, of our Fs in lives. We don't have to work for his love. He loves us just all the same. The reason the world does not know us is that it not know him. And it goes on to say, dear, children, dear friends or beloved, now we are children of God. And it goes on to talk about that we'll be like him in his ethical purity. You know, this great change is going to happen because we are going to see him as he is. When we see the splendor of the king, 
that itself will be enough to make us as pure as him. That is what the writer is saying. When I see the splendor of that king, because I am going to see him one of these days, that is enough to make me pure like him. That is what the writer is saying. I don't have time. Let, let me just end it by saying we are called to keep ourselves clean and pure. Everyone who has this hope in him or her purifies himself just as he is pure. This is the way to live a confident and fruitful life that God wants for his children. I want to end with two stories. Actually, there were so many things that I have wanted to share, but I will leave it for another day. But let me end with two stories. Two theological students, you know, they're all the bright kids. Where all the bright kids go, okay? Two theological students were walking along a street in the Whitechapel district of London a section where old and used clothing is sold. What a fitting illustration all this makes, said one student to the other. As he pointed to a suit of clothes hanging on a rack by a window, and the sign on it read, slightly soiled, greatly reduced in price. Slightly soiled, greatly reduced in That's it exactly, he continued. We get soiled by gazing at vulgar pictures. Now this is 100 years back, so we can use here, instead of vulgar pictures, maybe pornography or pictures which, which you didn't see. Reading a coarse book, 50 Shades of Grey maybe. Or allowing ourselves a little indulgence, you know, a little, you know, it's not wrong, you know in dishonest or lustful thoughts. And so when the time comes for our character to be appraised, we are greatly reduced in value. Our purity, our strength is gone. We are just part and parcel of the general, shop-worn stock of the world. Yes, continual slight deviations from the path of right may greatly reduce our usefulness to God and to our fellow humans. In fact, these little secret sins, little secret sins, not big ones. We are often worried about the big ones, but these are the little secret sins can weaken our character so that when we face a moral crisis, we cannot stand the test. And as a result, we go down in spiritual defeat because we have been careless about little sins. We have been careless about little sins. And let me remind myself through this, we must heed the memorable words written by Robert Murray McCheney to Reverend Dan Edwards on October 2, 1840. That's a long time. 
That is after his ordination as a missionary to the Jews in Germany. This is what Robert Murray McChenney was a great guy, a godly man, and this is what he wrote, you know, when uh, Dan Edwards was ordained as a missionary to go to Germany to serve the Jews. I trust you will have a pleasant and profitable time in Germany. I know you will apply hard to German, but do not forget the culture of the inner man. I mean of the heart. How diligently the cavalry, you know, the officer, the, the soldier, keeps his saber, you know, the sword, clean and sharp. Every stain he rubs off with the greatest care. You know, he doesn't want it to be soiled in any way. So he keeps it brushing, cleaning. Remember your God's sword, his instrument. I trust a chosen vessel unto him to bear his name. In great measure, according to the purity and perfections of the instrument, will be the success. It is not great talents. God blesses so much as great likeness to Jesus. A holy minister is an awful weapon in the hands of God. And now, dear children, continue in him or abide in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. What sort of love is this? The Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear children, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies oneself just as he is pure. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you for this time and thank you for this hour. Thank you because you have been so kind and so gracious to me and to each one of us. Lord, you're an amazing God who continues to speak to us. And because of that, Lord, we are alive. We are here this afternoon. We can listen to you because you have opened our ears. Oh God, you have enlightened our mind to receive your word. Oh God, we know that one of these days we are going to see you as you are. And that splendor of the king is going to transform us, oh Lord, into being pure as you are. But Lord, while on earth, may we strive for that purity in whatever measure is possible by the work of your spirit. So that we will, when we come to you, Lord, when we come in your presence, we can come with a boldness, with that confidence, Lord, which results as a matter of a daily relationship with you, expressed mainly in prayer. Oh God, help us to be people who will pray, who will read your word, who will love you and your people from our very hearts so that our love may be real for you and for your people.
and in so doing, in some measure, we will learn to comprehend with gratitude what you did for us in your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you. Thank you for him once again. Lord, at this time, once again, we especially pray, Lord, for our dear sister Richa, even as she goes, O Lord, to school, be with her. Lord, protect her from the wiles of the evil one. Keep her heart safe for you, Lord. May not the attractions and the distractions of the academic world, O Lord, take her away from you. But Lord, you will preserve her even as you have promised. You will keep her in your fold. That you will grant her the encouragement and strength to stand, O Lord, the taunts maybe, the ridicule of being a follower of Jesus. Will you protect her? And will you comfort her parents even as they have to let her go? For a season, for a time. Lord, we want to pray and thank you for the lives that you have given us. For the joys, for the homes, and for all the good things that you have showered us with. Thank you, because you have been such an awesome, wonderful God. And Lord, help us to live a life with purity. Knowing, Lord, that it is not great talents that you look for, but it is in great likeness that you, to your sons that you take delight. So may we strive hard, Lord, to live such a life, so that each passing day we'll be able to bear the image of your son a little more, so that people who are looking at us will see Jesus. And in so being, we may truly reflect the light of the world that is our Savior and Lord in whose name we ask and offer this prayer, even with the request, O Lord, that you will bless us, keep us till we meet again. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.